I, I, I gotta say, when I was when I was in uh, Florida in 2013 for Fest, when we stopped just outside of London, we went to uh, one of those like uh, what you what, at that time I see American love is the basically shopping malls with the restaurants in them, and there was this place called Opa, it's like a Greek restaurant, yep. and the most most stereotypical night I've ever had in a Greek <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> Dancing, singing, breaking plates, which we do not do. I don't know why people think we all break plates. <laughs> and belly dancing, which is nothing to do with Greece either. But you know. <laughs> well, it's it's like uh, Ireland on St. Patrick's Day. They don't go around drinking and making asses of themselves. They go to mass. <laughs> so there you like, go. There that's you what go. they do. Nobody's out at the pubs. I I've never understood that. And also the uh, the the national color isn't green. It's blue. <laughs> like. You dump. There you go. What are you doing? I know. It's like it's like for, for all the talk of cultural appropriation, whatever that might be a hot topic at some point in America. For me, it's like cultural exaggeration. That's what I fucking love about the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just go, you just go a hundred with everything. It's like yeah, it happens, but not that much. And it's so it's so much fun to watch too. Just simply with you know uh, Cinco de Mayo and just random international or at least nationalized international holidays. Cinco de Mayo, yeah. 5th of May, it, the the aspect of it, it's to celebrate Mexican independence from mm-hmm. the United States and North America. No one mentions that during the holiday. You just see a bunch of white people <laughs> walking around in sombreros, drinking beer, going, cerveza! <laughs> and it's the dumbest fucking thing in the world. Oh, but it's fun. <laughs> Look, dumb is fun, I gotta admit. Like, I can't deny. Dumb can be fun as well. Yeah, if you just feel a little relaxed about it, I guess you can have a good time. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go ahead and say parlay. Jay? Parlay! <laughs> Parlay? That's the one. Parlay. Parlay. Great day and welcome to yet another episode of Parlay Radio, the podcast that gives you an objective take of the bands you love and love to hate. We are back with a Simpler the Best episode as part of our marathon. And today, we do have a very special guest. But first, introductions all around. Jay Bain and Suyon Bebe Pedador. Entonces, ¿por qué no me matas? You actually did pretty good there. I'm going to give you that. Gracias. I, I'm only, my partner is only a, a former Spanish teacher. And honestly, I think she'd be impressed with that. Uh, my name is Devin Hughes, and I have a devil's haircut. But we have a special guest. Burnt Tapes are a band based out of London, but they're mostly from Greece. And Danktone is a member who appears on our show today. Burnt Tapes is a featured band at this year's The Fest in Gainesville, Florida. We will add their link tree in our bio, and as usual, we always want to make sure you hit up their band camp to purchase some merchandise, as well as their page on Lockjaw Records and Wiretap Records. Every band needs a meal. Please welcome to the show, Dank Tone. Hey, I'm Dank Tone, and I like to mix my business. There you go. There you go. He gets it. He does. <laughs> and Jay, before we get too much further, it's a Sunday that we are recording this. It is four in the afternoon. Jacksonville Jaguars are playing. What's the final? It was 17 to nine. Okay, so we didn't win. Kansas City won. But it, they won the Super Bowl last year, though, correct? And 
Fuck hey, them. Hey. Fuck Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> okay, Jay's <laughs> going to be uh, just pissed off throughout the episode today. Goddamn right. So, nothing new. Uh, <laughs> but... We do have a very special artist to cover. We first want to say thank you for hopping on today. We're very excited about that. Um, a few people were very excited to mention burnt tapes and referred bands to watch this year. So that's something that I'm excited about because I want to see you guys. And that's something that I know nothing about, so I'm excited too. <laughs> it works out, though. It works out. But <laughs> before we get too far into it, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the artists that we're covering today because... I have to give a disclosure that some of the things that we are discussing today are alleged uh, for legal purposes because we don't want to be sued, so we can't prove or disprove the f some of the information I'll mention at the end of this episode. Our artist today. Beck David Hansen, born Beck David Campbell, known mononymously as Beck, is an American musician, singer, songwriter, and record producer. He rose to fame in the early 1990s with his experimental and lo-fi style, became known for creating musical collages of wide-ranging genres, I didn't write those, musically encompassed folk, funk, soul, hip-hop, electronic, alternative rock, country, and psychedelic, with a pop Wait. art collage. Yes. Uh, are, are we covering David Beckham or the band Hanson? I'm, I'm confused now. I heard oh, it was Dave, Jeff Beck, Dave... but I, I, I just oh, misunderstood. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Bullshit. <laughs> I covered the wrong things. So, oh, well. Well, well, you got 30 seconds. <laughs> With a pop art collage of musical styles of bleak and ironic lyrics and postmodern arrangements incorporating samples, drum machines, live instrumentals, and sound effects, Beck has been hailed by critics and the public throughout his musical career as being amongst the most idiosyncratically creative musicians of the 90s and 2000s alternative rock scene. Jay is grimacing. While he grimaces, Dank, why don't you tell us why you decided to speak about Beck? Um, I decided to speak about Beck because, uh, well, first of all, I'm, I've been listening to Beck since the late 90s. Uh, I'm pretty old. I'm, I'm 38. I'm about to disclose this, so, so I'm a bit out of touch with modern. We're right there with you. <laughs> so fucking old. What a geezer. Uh, oh, wait. All uh, the brain. Us 36 year olds are just going to sit here and go, ha ha, old man. Like, I know nothing about new music. As a matter of fact, you probably got the worst person in the world to talk about music. I am one of those, like, uh, I know some songs from certain uh, artists. I know names of certain artists, but I don't know anything beyond the depth of it. So Beck, I'm, Beck is one of the few that actually kind of listened to a lot in terms of discography when I was a kid. And I used to, uh, it used to be kind of just, you know, cool and fun to listen to. But as I grew older and I started listening to his old stuff, it kind of became an anthem to my depression and sadness. Okay. So... Yeah, yeah, so like Mellow Gold, uh, probably my favorite album. Like, I can listen from start to finish, and every song is almost like speaking to parts of my life that I've lived through, uh, where I could relate to the, some of the worst times of my life. And um, yeah, it just always kind of, kind of like, was close to me because of that. And um, I did, I, I would, when I chose him, I didn't realize exactly that uh, you were looking for something like spicy about the artist, and that maybe I took a bit of a safe bet <laughs> there. Um, but I definitely, definitely love love his music, and I think he's uh, he's a really, really good artist that people should know more of if they don't. So promoting. I, I, I will say that I have Odalay on the uh, vinyl shelf 
back here behind me. So, yeah. so don't worry, yeah. I am a fan. Um, I, I will say this. We just look up our little criteria that we have for discussing each of these bands because it's an easy, universal, and comparable way to just mm-hmm. break them down. When it gets spicy, it gets really spicy. But sometimes people consider milk a spice. So this is <laughs> one of those cases where it might be chocolate milk. It might just be regular milk, or it could be ghost pepper milk. We'll see. Um, it just depends on everybody's interpretation of it. Because I, I, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. There really isn't that much. But one thing in particular, it's not him. It's just the things it's tied to. So that, that's probably the best way I can put that. But we're, we're going to be a little bit before we get there. I do want to thank you once again for hopping on. And we're going to go ahead and get started because this week, Jay has numbers. All right. So the numbers today. Beck has sold over 8.4 million albums internationally, including 6.3 million in the U.S. and 780,000 in the U.K., He has 14 albums, one compilation album, six video albums, 46 music videos, which kind of surprised me there was that many. Uh, Four EPs, 52 singles, one remix album, 51 collaborations, 17 soundtracks, and 10 demos. Um, Among his albums, the sales number for them, Mellow Gold in 94 sold 1.2 million. Odele in 96 sold 3 million. Mutations in 98 sold 800,000, along with Midnight Vultures in 99 selling the same amount. Uh, Sea of Change, I'm sorry, Sea Change in 2002 with over 600,000. Guero, did I pronounce that That, right? That's about as close as you're going to get. Guero in 2005, 700,000. The Information in 2006 with 500,000 and Morning Phase in 2014 with 600,000. I'm not going to lie, actually, that surprises me that it's that. It does. It surprises me, too. I mean, considering how big of an artist he really was near like the mid to late 90s, um, I'm kind of surprised Odile didn't sell more. That's a, I mean, that's a pure classic album. That front to back, you can listen to the entire Mm -hmm. thing and enjoy it all the way, especially the part right in the middle where there's just random screaming. Oh, maybe that's the reason. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know who's who's in the market for in from the general crowds for that kind of stuff. It, it it's just uh, you felt the emotional release with it. That's what it is. <laughs> let's, let's go with that. Yeah. So overall, uh, Beck has a, and this is international, uh, eleven times platinum, seventeen times gold, and three times silver in the UK. The, the fact that it was 11 platinum was actually kind of surprising. Um, seems like he does have a lot of really good international sales figures. Um, a lot of Europe, it seems like he's, he's pretty popular all, all around. So we're going to get to awards, which is one of our favorite categories to go over around here. There might be a Razzie. There's not. Sadly. There's no Razzies? There's no Razzies. Damn. I, I, I know he double, acts occasionally. I, I just... could double check. Dank, are you nope. familiar with the Razzies? Uh, I know the Woodies. Okay, so the, the golden <laughs> raspberries, <laughs> you and your boner, uh, the, golden, <laughs> the golden raspberries are uh, awards given to the worst in movies. 
So like oh. worst actor, worst director, worst movie. Um, so think of those really crappy movies that came out that you just didn't enjoy and they still get awards for it. And the, uh, the trophy is maybe, you know, about that big and, uh, <laughs> they, they do it more or less as a joke, but some people will still go and get it in person. Halle Berry notoriously went and picked hers up and claimed it for her role in Catwoman. Yeah. Fair enough. Deserved. <laughs> so... This is awesome. So first off, the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actor Wikipedia page has Jared Leto's face on the front of it. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> the closest Beck has ever come to a Razzie is the actor Michael Beck being nominated in 1980 for Worst Actor for the film Xanadu. Never heard of it. That's it. Uh, <laughs> Olivia Newton-John. Yep. Terrible, weird space musical opera after with, Greece. With an even worse soundtrack behind yeah. it. I think the lead the song was literally just them singing Xanadu. Wasn't it like hyper it was like hyper focused on rollerblading, if I'm not mistaken. Something too. along the lines. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very strange, like skating. I, I don't and it's a musical. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't high enough to make the shit up. No, no, no. <laughs> Not enough edibles in my life that could make me watch or create that. <laughs> All right, so back to awards. Beck. Man, dude, these numbers. 54 nominations and only Whoa. 20 wins. It's almost Wait, 500, though. That's not a bad albums, ratio, yeah. But 14 albums and he only has those kind of numbers. I mean, Taylor Swift had like, what, 1,000 nominations, 1,200, something like that? Yeah. Well, also, bear in mind marketing. Yeah, that's but... another thing you have to, because because Beck for what he presents, it is a very original sound. So that's another thing too. Swift, yeah. Success aside, her sounds fairly generic. I mean, everybody, it, it's pop music. It's not yeah, anything, it's bubblegum pop, you know? A lot of times when you get a lot of these award shows, though, they get really pretentious and they want to go for the the weird and the new and the crazy and the out there kind of stuff, which you would think Beck would be right there in the running for everything. I mean, you know, you have some of these, these artists that come out with albums that are complete trash, something completely, totally off the wall that no one ever's going to listen to, and it gets 50 different nominations for one award show. Well, he did get the uh, cat. Uh, was it Kanye West or what do you, what do you go by now? Yeezy. He, he got Yeezy the uh, uh, Swift style at when he beat Beyonce. It was the Grammy, I think, wasn't it? He did beat Beyonce for a Grammy. And yeah. We'll and we'll and, and everybody it. and everybody was big mad about that. <laughs> so that year, he actually beat. There we go. So Morning Phase was the one that won in 2015. He beat Beyonce. Pharrell Williams, Sam Smith, and Ed Sheeran. Take that, pop music, and That's shove it up impressive. your industry. <laughs> you can say ass on this show. Where, it's okay. Where, we don't censor. Oh, where exactly oh, yeah, yeah. is one's industry? Is that like somewhere near the taint, or is that like under the <laughs> armpit or something? I'm confused now. Taint, aka gooch. Brundle. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm just I'm just jealous I'm not playing fucking Wendy, all right? That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So uh for AMA awards, uh he has 
only won one, in, or I'm sorry, he was nominated for Favorite Pop Rock Male Artist in 1998. Uh, for VMAs, he has been nominated 15 times and won six awards. And the Grammys, 22 nominations, and he's actually won eight. So winning eight Grammys is impressive, including his first one, uh, 1997's Best Male Rock Vocal Performance for Where It's At. He did lose that year, though, and uh, album of the year to Celine Dion's Falling Into You. Oh, you can't blame him for that. Yep. And then in 2015, as we just said, he won not only album of the year, but also best rock album of the year for Morning Phase. So that's, Big up. that's pretty much it for numbers. That's really surprising. I, I honestly, he, he really is like a, this strange hobbit that is an icon in the industry, similar to how Prince was, I would say, in the 70s or 80s, where just anything that is generated is completely different from the norm. And yet Prince had the major success and the sales and everything backing it. And Beck is just kind of hanging out and mm-hmm. doing his thing and, and scraping by. But I don't know. I, yeah. I just I'm very surprised that it's that low. I would I would imagine he'd at least like 20 or 30 million, you know, but I don't know. Uh, like well, I do know that uh, after he took a bit of a long hiatus from recording, uh, he came back uh, basically and uh, did I don't, I don't know which album it was, but he recorded a song per day with very little interference and reshoots. Uh, well, sorry, not reshoots, uh, re-recordings, um, and basically kind of just was very raw and uh, you know there was there wasn't that much production behind it. So I guess I guess that's the thing, like. You either appreciate the rawness of uh, the, the rawness of a sound, or you or you or you just appreciate something that's completely you know uh, mustered and uh, co- uh, done cleaned up. So it's like it's like tastes that maybe maybe not enough people mix taste in terms of liking either completely manufactured or loving completely raw. You know, so maybe maybe, maybe that's why the numbers weren't that weren't that great. And I do apologize. I did skip over streaming numbers. We usually do go over that as well. For Beck, total Spotify streams right now, totals around 1.7 billion. But I think it's also because he has 266 songs on Spotify. (laughs) Um, And that includes Loser having 380 million. And then the second song, uh, second uh, next up song with the numbers would be Dreams with 71 million. And then from there, everything else is under 50 million and lower. That's still not bad numbers with way, Um, way higher than anything I'll ever have on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, this show, especially this show, (laughs) this show pretty soon is going to have even higher numbers right we're, right we're gonna have one billion streams total when we hold the country ransom i i don't know <laughs> that is my that is my goal is i'm holding you ransom and everybody asks well how are you holding the country ransom i'm gonna say i'm gonna stand outside in traffic and no one can pass me there you go <laughs> uh also beck has seven million three hundred ninety two thousand monthly listeners still seems so low i'm just it it's does baffling um, i don't know much about stats but all these things they impress me and because i'm very biased and i love Beck, so fuck everybody else <laughs> that's the attitude that everyone should have in life <laughs> Thank I, Tom for I, president. 
Exactly. If I like you, I'll push you to the top. Just give me your votes. <laughs> it's marketing genius. That's what that is. <laughs> oh man, trust me. If if you ever had a chance to uh, like sort of get into my mind, some of the things that I come up with in my head is just ridiculously. I mean, I could I couldn't talk about it, but it would make you laugh, but at the same time, probably make you want to distance yourself from me. So don't give me any marketing positions. I will come up with the dumbest shit <laughs> you can imagine. Sir, I introduced an episode with a skit called Baby Name Pharmacy where all of the over-the-counter medicines that you can go pick up, like <laughs> just regular things, I gave them baby names. So if nice. you want to worry about anyone's head being a little bit off, hi, my name is Devin. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no drugs, by the way. None. I, I'm no sober drugs. and clean. So yeah, I just... Uh, I don't know if it's short attention span or my environment or yes. I mean, I have a Leonardo Ninja Turtle boppet on my desk <laughs> that I have to use during the week because otherwise I'm going to go insane. I, I don't know. I, I really, uh, I feel like I'm off today and, and I don't know why. Because Jackson. That's where I was. Yeah, I was actually focused on football for a change. That's the mm -hmm. strange part. Nah, man, you're, you're just coping, man. It's cool. We all cope in different ways, you know. I, I like, like for example, just before this uh, podcast, I had I had a horrible, horrible couple of days where I've been working nonstop and I've been sleeping no more than five hours for three days now. And I was in the shower and I was listening to Mellow Gold because obviously I wanted to reconnect with it. And I was singing out of key, top of my lungs in the shower for every single song. And that's made me feel better, you know? So you tell me and ask, ask my neighbors if, if they appreciate that. They probably don't, but I don't give a shit because that's what helps me get through the fucking evening. Oh, this but. is going to be fun. Bop it to start. <laughs> I mean, if you were singing out a key, your neighbors probably would have thought it was just a regular Beck album just playing. <laughs> yeah, they definitely don't scream. There you go, Leonardo. Now he shut off. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> Did you see the new uh, Ninja Turtles movie, by the way? Yes, I did, and it's fantastic. Hang on, I, I gotta, I gotta show it. See if I can get my camera turned around. Right behind the desk. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I, uh, I'm, I also I'm, have a shelf yeah? above it that has all, a bunch of figurines. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an old school Ninja Turtles fan from the '90s and the uh, the original cartoon, so I'm a little, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit biased towards that. I have that, but as I well. could. Uh, but I can appreciate the new approach and you know new character developments. It's, you know, it's a different story. You know, variety is good, so I'm I'm, very, I'm quite happy with how it came out. I haven't seen the new movie, but I definitely like the fact of them, the the producers and and the director of the film actually getting younger actors to play the roles. And I did hear mm -hmm. whenever they were recording everything, they put they them all teenagers. in one booth. Yeah, all teenagers and whenever they were recording um they actually put them all in one booth together facing each other so they could kind of play off of each other wow. that's at least nice to see yeah I mean, you know, let, let kids be kids since they're teenage ninja turtles they're teenage turtles for fuck's sake let them be teenagers the the new movie is definitely worth it i will say that it's a lot of fun it's definitely a, a different story and i will say this again as i have before jackie chan steals the show with splinter um, of course. There's just some very strange bit comedy parts in there that he gets away with immediately, and and you can't help but <laughs> laugh hysterically. Now, but, does does he do all of his own stunts? 
That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the entire film is animated, and then it's just Jackie in a rat costume. <laughs> but, Motion capture. <laughs> but speaking of production and some stupid bits, let's move on to lyrics. <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely stupid bits. So if most of you haven't been able to realize, Dick, John Dick was not Dick here, Dick, today, Dick. <laughs> John is our third host of the show who Dick. decided to actually go to the Jacksonville Jaguars game. Double Dick. With his family. Not, not Dick's. Dick's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, was not able to make today's recording because he is probably still in the parking lot right now. And a dick. Yes. So we are once again splitting lyrics pretty much any time we record on a Sunday. If you hear an episode that John is not on, we record it on a Sunday. I think that's the nicest way we could put it. Hopefully that'll change come the new year once we uh, start getting an actual schedule and not, can you guys make this? Um, Because that has been the entire run of this Simply the Fest marathon. And I'm very appreciative of you, Jay, for showing up when you have. You know, Devin, we're both batting a thousand when it comes to being here. So That's true. That's true. No hitters. No hitters. But... With us splitting the duties, Jay is going to take the first song. I'm going to take the second. <laughs> duties. <laughs> duties. My song. Let's see what you did there. <laughs> Speaking of duties, I'm going to be covering the song Loser. <laughs> so, Loser was first released independently in March of 1993, then later re-released in 1994 as the first single from the 1994 album Mellow Gold, as we spoke of a little bit earlier. The song peaked at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in April of 94. It was Beck's first single to hit any major chart, and it also hit number one on the U.S. Alternative Airplay for Billboard as well. Beck wrote the song uh, as a way to keep coffee houses and club audience members engaged in his music. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly in 97, he said, quote, I'd be banging away to a sunhouse tune and the whole audience would be talking. So maybe out of desperation or boredom or the audience's boredom, I'd make up these ridiculous songs just to see if people were listening. Loser was an extension of that. Uh, Beck also said that he tried to emulate Chuck D from Public Enemy's uh, rapping pattern for the verse. And later on, after hearing the recorded verse back, the main line of the chorus came from him realizing that he was actually a terrible rapper. (laughs) In an interview quote, when the producer played it back, I thought, man, I'm the worst rapper in the world. I'm just a loser. So I started singing. I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? Okay. At least he admits it. I mean, you know, self-esteem is something not everybody has so you know if you got a little lower self-esteem at least you own it right right but why didn't i write a song like that after i did that shitty cover of chronic future <laughs> i tried to save you from I it. Sorry. Rap. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know this is what back in 2005 Devin, 2006 2006 Devin uh and his band were doing a cover of Chronic Futures time and time again, which has some pretty quick rapping in it. And it's a song that I love and know very well and near and dear to my heart. 
And midway through what the first verse, I hear Devin trying like he's trying it to play actually, guitar. It was and... the singing that got to me because it was. I'm gonna point the finger. The other guitarist was supposed to <laughs> sing the chorus, <laughs> and just decided he wasn't going to. Uh, this was a short-lived cover band that I am glad to not be a part of anymore, and I'm glad that we did the two shows we did because they were for charity and we had a great time. Uh, but yeah, first year was an amazing performance. The second year, um, I, I would have happily played at a country bar to no one. Uh, it had it with the direction that that went. Yeah, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just glad that you didn't get upset at me for running onto the stage and just grabbing the microphone. Never, never. Just to, just to try and save you. I, I knew you were there to help <laughs> as as you have before, as I have with you before. That is the thankful aspect of our longtime friendship. Yeah. If it you... makes you feel any better, I had a show where we tried to cover uh, the Misfits where Eagles Dare and i for some reason completely went blank on all of the lyrics and one of my buddies jumped up on stage and thank god saved me from it i i will say that my previous band general south fury that i left on good terms a year after leaving when they had recruited a different singer and guitarist i went to a show of theirs in tampa and uh, hopped on with them. But then two years after that, they're playing a show in Jacksonville and I just went just to support. The singer handed me the microphone during a song and I said, I don't know the words. And he screamed back into the microphone, you wrote the fucking song. <laughs> and uh, Kids, practice. Practice your songs. <laughs> Remember the ones that you wrote. Always do that because you're going to become like me where you wrote... I don't know, 12 songs for a band, and yeah, I don't fucking remember any of the lyrics for any of them. Yep. Oh, I, I lost my songbook years ago, and I'm like, I couldn't re-record any of those songs in my life depending on it. Oh, man. I've, I've had so many dreams where uh, it's like we'll be performing uh, with the tapes, and I just forgot lyrics. Oh my god, that was a nightmare. Man. I, I would wake up just thinking like, thank god that was a fucking nightmare, and that wasn't real. I've also, I've also had a dream where I was naked on stage. That was a bit weird. There is a, uh, a phrase that is used for a lot of different uh, band classes and orchestra classes that they do at schools here. It's called to watermelon. And it's literally, uh, it's a different phrase for improvisation. But if you're doing lyrics and you can't remember the words, just say watermelon a few times. And it's either going to crack up the audience or it's going to respark your memory to remember what you're actually supposed to be singing. It's a very strange phenomenon, or it works in the case of where you go to cover an unmentionable band because of the heinous acts of the singer, and you just sing the chorus as watermelon, watermelon, as also done at that same show. <laughs> yeah, covering... Uh, <laughs> could not uh, sing the chorus for the life of us yeah that's that's a band i we'll, love them and I yeah i can't support them anymore can't really cover them yeah, yeah. No. but you know, you know yeah. to to go back on what you were saying about having the dream of, of performing naked it's not as bad as you think man i've done naked karaoke before it's actually kind of fun damn i'm definitely visiting you in uh <laughs> what was the town again darpen Springs. <laughs> so just about 
30, 45 minutes uh, northeast of here is a little area called Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes is the nudist capital of the world. There are five different, um, different nudist resorts all in that one little town. It's it's kind of fun. They're they're fun to go to. It's it's a little different. Man, I'll I'll think about it. I might have to invest in a <laughs> Swedish in, in a Swedish penis pump before I go because you know, <laughs> unless um, unless everyone's packing twigs. Yeah, I might I got my the the only bad thing is it's Florida, so it's never really cold, so you can't blame the cold temperature for shrinkage. But you are by the water, so it is breezy. <laughs> I'll think about it. All right, back to lyrics clothed lyrics at that <laughs> for loser the song's drum track is actually sampled from johnny jenkins cover of dr john's i walk on gilded splinters from 1970. Uh, during the song's break there is a sample of the line uh, for the line of dialogue from a 1991 steve steve hanft jesus christ that is h-a-n-f-t hanft directed film kill the moonlight it's the line that goes i'm a driver i'm a winner things are going to change i can feel it feel it yep nice, so nice, nice. hanft and beck are friends and hanft would later direct the video for loser along with several several other of beck's music videos jesus i'm getting tongue-tied trying to say this guy's fucking name shit diction diction my friend can't <laughs> dick <laughs> John. Been talking <laughs> about John. <laughs> so around the time of the song's release, Beck had been approached to include Loser on the soundtrack for the comedy film Dumb and Dumber, but he actually refused. He recalled the process, saying, quote, I remember getting a phone call one day. My manager said, there's a film. They want to use Loser as the theme song. There was a long pause, and he said, the name of the film is Dumb and Dumber. And I just remember that sums up what the whole world thinks of me at this point. I tried to have fun with it, tried to not take it too serious, but at the same time, it was a little disheartening sometimes. Now, I, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't it. blame him. I mean, you know, especially with such insightful lyrics as uh, dog food stalls with the beefcake pantyhose. So shave your face with some mace in the dark. Mace in the dark. Yeah. And uh, forces of evil in a bozo nightmare. I mean, you could never believe no one would ever take a person like this seriously. Ever. I mean, he's such a such a true artist, right? He's a lyrical genius. Lyrical genius. Yes. Uh, you know, one thing about the song Loser, though, is it has become so synonymous with the Gen X generation and the entire culture. And it really, the whole early to mid 90s rock scene, it just became synonymous with it. It's, you know, when, when you think back to that time, Loser is the one song I think that pops into everybody's head. You know, 1994, 1995. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was all those weird bands, right? And that's usually the first one that's going to get that, that gets some kind of mention with it. It was the end of grunge. There were a yeah. lot of very strange acts to come about. Uh, still some really amazing ones, but uh, yeah, mid 90s had some. It was buzz rock. What yeah, they like to call that, a lot that, of that. That's era. that's probably an appropriate term for that. You also had acts like Lisa Loeb, 
that came yeah, out you had too. Lisa that changed Loeb, the course of pop. So Pepper I, and the Butthole Surfers, and mm-hmm. you know, Harley alumni, Smash Mouth. There you go. Well, a little later for Smash Mouth. Ninety-six. Yeah. It wasn't that yeah, much later. Mm. But yeah, just was it, it was, it was a different time. Wasn't Mellow Gold on Geffen? Uh, it was on a Geffen subsidiary. It was. Give me just one second. I just had it pulled up. Uh, it was DGC Records, which was Geffen owned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I remember that connection because as I was, I was a huge grunge fan growing up in the nineties. Um, so like Nirvana, Mud Honey, all that stuff was just like mm-hmm. my 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 buzz. So yeah, cool. Love love it. Love it. So that's it for loser. Very cool. Well, spoken like a non-loser at all about it. Well, oh, I'm, I'm a total loser. It's okay. Now, oh, come I, on, man. I will say this. I didn't mention it in the uh, controversies, but uh, Beck has had a few different independent labels that he has released music on. He primarily does a lot through Geffen or subsidiaries, but Bong Load Records is what a name. name. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> is a, a previous one where he had a lawsuit that ended up getting settling about the release of previous songs such as Loser. Um, and it was a fight between them and Geffen before his album Midnight Vultures was released. Now it was settled, so I believe it was just over the legal rights as to who owned the songs and where the royalties went. It was settled in 99. That's why I didn't really think it was relevant because it's been 24 years and everything seems to have gone okay. Not very controversial, so I didn't really take it too much. But before I get into controversies, I have one more song to cover, which I decided to pick Where It's At, which is the first single off the album, Odele. Uh, Currently sitting at 33 million streams on Spotify. I think that's far too low. So a lot of the song is references to early hip hop when DJs would loop drum breaks with two turntables and hype the crowd with a microphone. So the lyric, pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts is about his early years touring wherever he could and taking odd jobs to get by. Uh, Parts of the song are based on a 1969 middle school sex education album called Sex for Teens, Where It's At. Samples from the album appear throughout the song. For example, what about those who swing both ways, ACDC? <laughs> the, the original riff was written on a Wurlitzer organ, which I thought was pretty cool. Beck sampled and was heavily influenced by the band The Frogs, which is a subversive rock band from Milwaukee led by Jimmy and Dennis Flemion. I'm probably saying that incorrectly. The band is admired greatly by Beck, Pearl Jam, and the Meat Puppets. The line, let's make it out, baby, came from a guy named Eddie, who would hang around the studio. Mike Simpson, one of the Dust Brothers that produced the album, quote, he was this crazy guy who builds custom, who builds custom cars like a Batmobile and stuff like that. He was just another of these nutty characters who hung out with us. He was a jovial guy who spoke broken English. Beck would ask him to talk about stuff, and we'd just plug in the mic, and Eddie would just go crazy. And then, my favorite fact about this song, it was featured in a 2001 episode of Futurama, Bending in the Wind, where Bender (laughs) becomes paralyzed from the neck down due to a giant can opening incident. In the process, he gets small arms for assisting and becomes the washboard player for Beck's band. A few of my favorite quotes are from that episode. (laughs) 
Bender, when I'm upset, I write a song about it. Like when I wrote Devil's Haircut. I was feeling really, really... What's that song about? <laughs> Thank you. That song usually doesn't last three hours, but when we get into a serious thing, and I forgot how it ended. <laughs> and then my absolute favorite... Bender, that was the best 40-minute washboard solo I've ever heard. And the parts I was awake for blew my mind. <laughs> as soon as you brought up that you're covering this song, I immediately started Googling that's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> that was so good. I think it was called Bend Bending in the Wind. Bending in the Wind. Yeah. He goes to open Nibbler's food and then gets caught in the can opener and gets sliced open like just spiral around his body like, it was like you was it you, you killed my father and now he's trying to get me from that wasn't it i think so yeah not the can the opener it killed my father now it's gonna get me <laughs> so to everybody out there in podcast land that hasn't caught the new season of futurama on hulu Go fucking watch it. It is so, so good. good. It reminds me of the 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 first four or five seasons. It's so well done. It's back yeah. to the the nonsense humor that they started yep. with, and it, it's there is so many serious tones that occur in several episodes of Futurama, but this is it's just mindless. You don't have to think about it with these, thankfully. So I don't feel like I'm gonna cry watching any of the episodes like I do with fucking Jurassic Bark. Oh, I love that episode and hate it all at the same time. Jesus Christ. I'm walking on sunshine. I think that was right after I lost my dog was when that episode came out. And I was just, I was so devastated. Oh, man, the, the the final scene where he's just sitting there and just fucking just waiting for mm-hmm. Prime comes, man. That was that was heartbreaking. Now, the music now the only, made it worse. The, the only thing is later on in the movies they did kind of retcon that to where like Seymour actually got to spend all the time with the future version of Fry that came back to the past. I think he spent like 12 yeah. years with him. Yeah. And in 2012, when Bender exploded, the entire, you know, Panucci's pizza was when he actually got fossilized. So they kind of made it not hurt near as bad. Yeah. So no, I, I think, I, I think I, the, the sad part was the right way to go. And I will never take that as anything else, but the sad thing. That was, yeah. that was beautiful. That was amazing. <laughs> It was. Well, let's move on to less sad and kind of weird and uh, cover some controversies. Is there poop stuff involved with this? Thankfully, no. Okay, good. How do you know? You've never been part of it. You know, I just, <laughs> I the, he's a weird guy. Beck's a really strange guy. I kind of. Thought there might have he been. He is stuff. not John know. Scatman, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he is not. As we know him, Trapped Man now. Uh, thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Shout out to our buddy Kyle Parody for so both awesome. of humanity. Thanks, uh, Kyle. I, I ne- he needs to upload that to Spotify just so I could add it to the playlist of all these episodes so people can hear the whole damn thing. <sighs> so I'm going to say this. For the most part, Beck is pretty clean. Uh, There wasn't really too much about him. Again, it's more on the association, and I have a lot on that association. So 
I'm going to once again state that uh, the portion that you will know that is more controversial is based on allegations and is for legal purposes, allegedly. So first thing, let's start with a positive. So Beck dropped out of an Arcade Fire show scheduled in Minneapolis, November 13th, 2022. Now, reasons for him dropping out were kind of all over the place, but the essential thing was that Arcade Fire singer Wynn Butler was accused of sexual misconduct, and Beck simply dropped to not associate with that. So that's a positive. As far as anything else, I couldn't really find anything, so here's the long diatribe I apologize in advance, and uh, hopefully I can provide an education. So Beck has stated in interviews that he identifies as both Jewish and a Scientologist, although he no longer identifies as the latter. His parents were involved in Scientology for most of his life, and he has stated that he was involved for most of his adult life. He publicly acknowledged it in a New York Times Magazine interview on March 6, 2005, as well as an interview with the Sunday Tribune in June 2005, where he stated, Yeah, I'm a Scientologist. My father has been a Scientologist for 35 years, so I grew up around it. November 2019, Beck disavowed previous reports of being one in an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald that year. Quote, I think there's a misconception that I'm a Scientologist. I'm not a Scientologist. I don't have any connection or affiliation with it, adding I was raised celebrating Jewish holidays and I consider myself Jewish. This is after his divorce, where he was married to a Scientologist, and his ex is heavily involved in the church. His dad is David Campbell, who still identifies as a Scientologist. Uh, Campbell is a composer who's written hundreds of arrangements with just about everyone. I'm going to name just a few. Neil Diamond, Ozzy Osbourne, Michael Bublé, Adele, Evanescence, Garth Brooks, Chirsha Yearwood, Billie Eilish, Ariana Grande, Charlie Puth, Taylor Swift, Leonard Cohen, Harry Styles, Melissa Etheridge, Hanson, Dave Matthews Band, Muse, Paul McCartney, Barbara Streisand, Steve Perry, Elton John, Eddie Vedder, Edgar Winter, Backstreet Boys, Billy Talent, Carrie Underwood, Bon Jovi, Cage the Elephant, Roger Daltrey, Beach Boys, Roy Orbison, and I'm gonna go take a nap because that's not even half. <laughs> that is... The Orbison one is the only person out of all of those talents that are dead, but this is just work he's done in the past five years. That's it. He goes back to 76. It's insane the amount of bands that he has worked with. I, I like how the band Hanson has had two call-outs today. <laughs> we will cover them later, and I'm going to tell you this. Go listen to them now. Oh yeah, there's so much. They're they're they're, they're not a bad band. Incredible. They're not <laughs> any bad. They the, were the harmonies alone. The poppy shit. The, even poppy, the poppy shit wasn't that bad. I'll have to. I'll send it to you as well, Dank. But there's an, an acoustic show that they did in 2012, mm. and uh, Zach is the drummer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Zach, of course, was a child. Literally, I think about nine or ten years old whenever they started. And he sings a song called Lucy on their first album. And you could tell it is a child singing it. That man has more funk and soul in his voice now than most people that are playing funk and soul. He, his voice has gone tenfold. He is incredible at this point. But there's some weird shit about them that I also found out. So I would love to cover them on a future episode. Hint, guests, hint, guests. 
I mean, I mean, they're basically uh, the music's version of the Children of the Corn, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were they were the best girl band in the mid '90s. Mm, yeah. <laughs> hey, I had long hair when I was in high school. I was listening to them. All right. We all had long hair at one point. Or another. Yeah, but did you look and sound like a girl though? Um, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is. Uh, I'm not going to go too far into it, but there is some association with the Mormon Church there that we will dive into when we cover Hanson. Continuing on with Beck, though, his mom is a disciple of Andy Warhol. Oh, shit. Marissa Rabisi. She has been honest about her Scientology. Same with his father. So for anyone who's wondering why this is weird and uh, has been living under a rock for the past 40 years. Actually, I'm sorry, 60 years. Scientology in a nutshell is a belief system that originated from the writings of L. Ron Hubbard and his set idea called Dianetics combination of personal experiences, Eastern philosophy, and psychoanalysis. The main principle of Scientology is that humans are immortal and contain a spiritual being known as a Theton that lives inside their body, having had an infinite number of past lives. The Daily Beast, in May 2001, uh, Beck denied being an adherent to science fiction scribe L. Ron Hubbard's strictly, uh, excuse me, sketchy religion. That month, the New York Post reported that Beck's closeness to the church has cost him a few band members, including Joey Warnaker and Smokey Hormel, who quit because, quote, they were alienated after the musician converted. Beck was drawn into the religion by his father, uh, David Campbell, a Scientologist for the past 10 years, and his bass player, Justin Meldel Johnson. The Post noted at that time, Meldel Meldel Johnson is listed on the underground bunker as a Scientologist, and Nine Inch Nails songwriter-producer Trent Reznor even addressed his faith in an interview, saying the bassist asked him if his belief in Scientology would affect keeping him in the band. Reznor assured him it wouldn't. So further cementing evidence on that. Uh, as Beck has doubled down in the past four years, stating his denouncement of involvement in the religion, the church is known to have very powerful attorneys and be able to reveal some of the worst things ex-members of the church have done. For Beck, nothing has surfaced. Nothing. So he's denounced the church four years ago. All evidence points to Beck being a member of the church, despite him stating otherwise, but as far as anything damning or revealing that's been on the internet, there is nothing. However... Some controversies of the church, a lot of them ongoing, include, but are not limited to, criminal behavior of members of the organization, including the infiltration of the U.S. government, organized harassment of people perceived as enemies of the Church of Scientology, Scientology's disconnection policy, which some members are required to shun friends or family members who are antagonistic to the organization, the death of Scientologist Lisa McPherson while in the care of the organization, that's still something where uh, there was a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the church for the death of McPherson. May 2004, McPherson's estate in the Church of Scientology reached a confidential settlement. From what I understand, there still hasn't been a burial because they still don't have a body. Attempts to legally force search engines to censor information critical of the Scientology organization. 
allegations of the former organization, or excuse me, the organization's leader, David Miscavige, beats and demoralizes staff, and that physical violence by superiors towards staff working for them is a common occurrence with the organization. I have so much more. <laughs> and it is, it is so fucking bad. They might just be the actual Illuminati. Shit. So if, if, if there was if if, if, there, if there was ever um, an iceberg for you know for the depths, I think Scientology would definitely be a good range to use. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if we're looking at the con- if we're looking at the surface and above, and we see a small portion of an iceberg, whereas you know there is just a giant depth of what is essentially a mountain of ice underneath. Mm-hmm. The surface and above is things Beck has done. And everything under the water is things the church have done. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Good so save. Good allegedly, save. you're just saying in a nutshell that the Church of Scientology is just allegedly nuts in a nutshell. I am uh god damn it. <laughs> All right, right. What was, what was, good job, good job. What was that? What, what was that uh, Simpsons uh, thing uh, from um, Groundskeeper Willie? Oh, but not it's the sinning. You want to get sued? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we haven't gotten sued on the show yet, it's coming. <laughs> I have a couple attorneys. I think we'll be okay. But uh, Lionel so... House doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, I do want to mention a couple other things, um, particularly alluding back to the church. Operation Snow White, which was in 1978, a number of Scientologists, including Hubbard's wife, Mary Sue Hubbard, who is second in command of the organization at the time, were convicted of perpetrating what was at the time the largest incident of domestic espionage in the history of the United States. This involved infiltrating, wiretapping, and stealing documents from the offices of federal attorneys and the IRS. Hubbard was convicted in absentia by French authorities of engaging in fraud and sentenced to four years in prison. The head of the French Church of Scientology was convicted at the same trial and given a suspension, excuse me, a suspended one-year prison sentence. That's one. (laughs) Number two, Operation Freakout. An FBI raid on the Church of Scientology's headquarters revealed documentation that detailed Scientology's criminal actions against various critics of the organization. Agents of the organization attempted to destroy Paulette Cooper, author of The Scandal of Scientology, an early book that had been critical of the movement. Among these documents was a plan to frame Gabe Cazares, the mayor of Clearwater, Florida, with a staged hit-and-run accident. Nine individuals related to the case were prosecuted on charges of theft, burglary, conspiracy, and other crimes. Additional criticisms stem from Hubbard's motives for financial gain as a religion, organized fraud in France and Belgium, organized harassment, which includes the use of private investigators targeting critics and ex-members. John Sweeney, who is a journalist with the BBC, was making a film, Scientology and Me, wherein he was shouted at, spied at, had his hotel room invaded and was accused of being a bigot screamed at in public while chased around Los Angeles by strangers. 
violating the confidentiality agreement. The church audits their members for confidential information, then uses it to smear anyone leaving the church. Leah Ramini did a great job covering this in her 2016 documentary series. Allegedly coercing abortions, human traffic violations, and tons of litigation. The church will hold you in lawsuits until you die. They are known to do that, which is, again, why everything is allegedly. <laughs> now, Beck again has disavowed the church, but was involved with that for a long time. Uh, it is believed to be at least 20 years. So take with that what you will. Uh, Danny Masterson of that 70s show was just sentenced or at least uh, convicted on sexual assault crimes and will be serving, I believe it's like 20 years or something. 30. Yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Um, Masterson is also a Scientologist. So basically, though, if, if you weren't able to find any other controversies on Beck, even though he's disavowed, quote, disavowed the he's church. pretty clean. It sounds like they probably, he's probably still part of the church because if he had left the church, they probably would have found some kind of shit to release on him. Yeah, that, and that's what I was saying before, is that because he's been doubling down on not being associated, the fact that nothing has come out mm-hmm. either means he really is clean as a whistle or um, he's still involved, one or the other. There really he's isn't too much of an stuff. in-between, unfortunately. No poop stuff that we know of. No poop stuff. Just John the Scatman. <laughs> That's just the sound he makes whenever he's taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as other controversies, that's it. There, There's nothing... That breakdown was just needed because that's all public information that has been well documented and not erased from search engines. Thanks, Google. Yep. By the way, Scientology headquarters is in Tampa, Florida. Fuck. <laughs> well, I'm going to get a knock on my door pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, I can tell you to trim your beard. <laughs> Uh, funny enough, um, Pam and, uh, um, and Phil, um, from the other guy from the tapes, uh, they actually went for uh, for jokes to the London branch of Scientology, Australian Scientology, to do one of them uh, tests. So they actually they've actually they actually stepped inside that building and gone through the procedure. Now, I I don't remember what exactly what happened. I, I think it was pretty chill. They just simply never came back, never replied to you know, further visits, but uh, maybe we're marked now. So if we ever become big, <laughs> I, I don't know how clean we can remain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like we might, we might actually be, uh, you know, set up. So I'm that's why boring. we never, we, we... <laughs> <I'm just laughs> exactly. <really boring. laughs> exactly, exactly. I think, I think we'd, we'd, we'd probably go in the, in, in the back spectrum where we would, we would say never associate with sex apart from that one visit. We have nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, we disavow everything, absolutely everything that allegedly has happened, allegedly, and then get on with our lives. <laughs> We're just going to have Scientologists that are going to be roaming around Fest. And, uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> saying, oh, where's yeah, the yeah, guy yeah, with yeah. the hug shirt? <laughs> 
But I'll tell you what though, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of names of successful people, so Scientology seems to maybe not correlate, uh, sorry, cor uh, correlate, but there's definitely some kind of parallel with being successful and being a Scientologist to a degree. I mean, well, maybe I'm sure just... they've got one of the world's largest PR firms that's probably pushing and helping out a lot of those, a lot of those uh, artists and actors and such. I mean, yeah. hell, Tom, the fact that Tom Cruise is still making movies when people know how certifiably insane he actually is is credit <laughs> to Scientology. That is true. That is so true. maybe I should Photoshop Beck's head onto Tom Cruise's body and put the image of him jumping on Oprah's couch for this episode. <laughs> so you're just swapping out one hobbit for another hobbit? I think so, yeah. That's the idea. The, the other thing, too, and this is what kind of... This is where I lean towards that he's probably pretty clean, is that he's friends with Conan O'Brien. Yeah, he's clean. He's yeah, Conan clean. <laughs> doesn't really associate much with people that do shitty things. The only unfortunate part is that Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher are friends of Conan. Now I don't. They obviously didn't do anything. They, they just said didn't stupid do the bad shit. thing. They're they just idiots. Yeah, they said stupid shit when they should have kept their mouth shut. Yeah. And Conan <laughs> calling out Masterson for his actions years ago should be an apparent thing. And uh, Conan yep. is not practicing, but a Catholic. So I don't know if that he's recovering Catholic. Recovering Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I, I that's you can't find anything on Conan, and he actually had to make a joke about that for years. Whenever he was doing his show, he would walk into, I, I don't know if it was publicist or marketing, but a lady that did a lot of marketing for the show and would have a, a crappy tabloid paper open, and he would just make things up. And he would be like, "What the hell is this? Conan shits on Denny's floor." <laughs> <laughs> the redheaded comedian walked into a Denny's recently, dropped trout, and took a dump on the floor <laughs> just to get her to laugh. But it's just because of how fucking clean he is. Like, he doesn't even drink all that much. He has a glass of red wine like twice a month, <laughs> and that's it. And yet, NBC would rather have Jay Leno in that spot oh, than Conan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, Jimmy uh, Fallon, who's been proven to be an ah! asshole. Yeah, I hate Fallon so much. I've hated Fallon since his SNL days. Couldn't keep a so straight terrible. face during his skits. It's just fucking terrible. Him and Horatio Sands damn near ruined the greatest skit of the mid-90s with the cowbell one. Like, or late, oh, late yeah. early 2000s. They almost ruined it. What the fuck? <laughs> Not gonna say it. Christopher Walken saved itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're but gonna you're just always going to see Horatio Sands and Jimmy Fallon just sitting in the middle, in the middle of the fucking scene, just. <laughs> they used Jesus. to get in trouble for that. I mean, Lauren Michaels would lose his shit if people laughed on screen. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Farley who really kind of ignited that with the uh, Matt Foley motivational speaker, because <laughs> no one could keep a straight face in that scene except for Phil Hartman. And that the was fact that David Spade was able to not keep from just completely busting out laughing, I give him all the credit in the world from this point on. 
Hey, my name is Matt Foley. I am 33 years old. I am thrice divorced, Christ. and I live in a van down by the river. Down by the river. <laughs> oh, la di da. Lordy freaking da. You go to the left, you go to the right, and you <laughs> crash right on the fucking table. We got Bill Shakespeare over here. Yeah. Yeah, listen, Dad, uh, why don't you uh, do a thermal... Shut your yapper! <laughs> oh you, man, I love that. Oh, if you never God. saw the follow-up skit with that, it's Matt Foley in prison. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, never yeah. saw that. Yeah, I you, need to go watch that yeah, now. Tim, Tim Meadows is in it. It's it's worth it. It's so stupid and it's brilliant because it's Chris. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing: the one person that basically makes every SNL shit SNL moment amazing is Steven's fucking Seagal. What a fucking piece of shit. Well, number one, human being. Number two, comedian. Horrible comedian. Ego, ego to the fucking brim. And I don't know if you... Have you have you seen that uh, skit with uh, with him and Chris where he's supposed to be like the, uh, the, you know, the CIA, whatever, dad that's supposed to like uh, scare this uh, bad boy, uh, Chris, uh, that would take his, his daughter out to a date. My God, man, that was cringe. So... so- I'll tell you this: the episode has been removed from American streaming services. Oh God! Good. That's how bad Good. it is. It, it it is declared the worst Saturday Night Live episode ever. Oh, and, I've never uh, seen it. They, yeah, uh, Peacock is the the NBC streaming app that we have, and and I and yeah, every episode is on there except for that one. So if you Good. want to watch it, I Good. believe you can. I believe you can check it out on YouTube. Like somebody uploaded it, and NBC hasn't copyright stricken it, so it's still on there. But it yeah. is. It's terrible. It is by far the worst thing ever. And by the way, uh, Steven Seagal, to cover him for just a brief moment, if you want to learn more about Steven Seagal, I suggest the podcast The Dollop has a great breakdown of Steven Seagal, his ties to Russia. <laughs> his uh, claim to be a CIA operative he literally one of the most deplorable human beings on the planet yeah just, and, and, terrible, oh, terrible man. And, it, and it kills me because as a kid I used to fucking love his movies his old movies man. I was I was all about the hand breaking and the Aikido and the throwing people around you know it's like a hard to kill was uh, I think that's the name of the movies I absolutely love that shit and then the more and as I grew up and the more I found out about his uh, personality his behavior I was just like my god God damn it! Not another motherfucker. I, I definitely suggest you listen to that. I'll I'll send you a link. Um, he <laughs> he challenged a man to a fight once who I believe was actually a uh, jujitsu master, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and uh, Seagal shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's like it's like three hours that they spent covering Seagal and as you listen it just gets progressively worse like the fact oh, that man. he he moved to japan at one point married the child of a uh, an aikido master had a family with her and then abandoned her and moved back to the states like that alone should be like what a shitty human being and then turns out he's done it a couple times on top of a bunch of lies is basically he is uh, the most successful pathological liar on the planet. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Hulk Hogan to... could easily give him a run for his money. Hulk Hogan has $700 million because of a lawsuit. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, I think that would be right, but Hulk hasn't lied about everything. Just most things. Just 95% of most things. Most things. I mean, you gotta give was, him a little bit of a truth. He was going to be the bassist for both Metallica and the Rolling Stones, according to him. <laughs> I, I never want to see that. Or do I? God, no. It'll be interesting God, no. when we get to the scripted just, programming. <laughs> just, to, just, just picture Hulk Hogan doing the Robert Trujillo crawl on the on the stage playing bass. Yep. Only there, if there he's not go. wearing some form of a headband and he has his hair long with the crown showing. I that don't think Hogan can picture that. I don't think Hogan's knees could take that. <laughs> not now. I mean, he has to walk with a cane now, but I digress. Uh. <laughs> well, Dank, we're excited to see you play at Fest this year. We're excited to see because you have a few uh, shows in Florida prior to Fest, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Uh, correct, Amundo. Yes, that's correct. Yes, uh, we've got uh, uh, Foreign Descent in Orlando, I believe, on the twenty third. Yeah, twenty third. And then we're going down to St. Augustine. Uh, I don't remember the specifics uh, of the names of the shows um, or uh, what they're actually called, but basically a lot of a lot of cool little places. We've got three shows before we play Fest on uh, the Friday in Lucy's at 10, 20 p.m., which is uh, fucking annoying because that's when you have Les and Jake and Dark Hit playing, I believe. So they're going to be, they're going to be, I mean, not that everybody who goes to see them or gagging to see us obviously but we are going to lose a couple of uh, familiar faces that basically you know, we definitely don't want to miss out on either of those bands but we're hoping because there's capacity at these venues people that can't get in might be like fuck it let's go check out a band we've never heard about and come and see us at lucy's and we'll try to uh, you know blow their socks off and uh you know be welcome back once again at some point uh but yeah no uh, this is i'm really excited about this tour um like I said, this is the second time um, I come to to the U.S. Uh, and uh, this is 2013 was the last time we, uh, me myself, sorry, me myself, not really, myself, Joe, our drummer, and Phil, our guitarist, we went to the 2013 edition of Fest, uh, and 10 years later now, we're going to play, which is like you know a dream come true because Fest is the holy grail for basically anybody who's into sort of like DIY punk. So really excited to have this experience and you know, take it all in. We'll probably just waste it in you know, all the euphoria, but you know, just meeting people would be amazing. Hanging out, drinking, talking, you know, meeting other artists, you know, the the, the real shit. You know? None of the sort of like I play fest and I'm the I'm the motherfucking bollocks or whatever. It's just just down to earth stuff. That's what I'm all about, really. So it's gonna be amazing. And I I just looked at the band camp for burnt tapes yes you are actually playing the pre-fest invasion in saint augustine along with our friends in eat defeat so yeah it's quite a lot of pal bands that are playing this year i uh, uh i think you mentioned during the eat defeat uh, podcast uh bands like trip sun and uh, sunliner now just mm -hmm. this little segue i i absolutely love making fun of uh, friends bands names so for me, uh, Sunliner, I call them Binliner. Uh, <laughs> eat, eat Defeat have, have the uh, privilege of being called by me either uh, eat, eat My Feet or Smell My Feet. <laughs> uh, and uh, Trips on 
was like, oh yeah, strip sound. Yeah, because I've always wanted to see them uh, play nude and on stage, obviously. <laughs> to my dreams. Yeah. dreams of being naked. Maybe that's why I dreamt about being naked on stage myself. Maybe uh, we can yeah. get them to play at one of the nudist resorts that are around here. I don't know. I was St. Augustine. <laughs> I know some spots. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're learning. We're learning something about you now, huh? <laughs> I, I went to university there, so might as well. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate having you on. Um, I know you mentioned a few bands already. Are there any that you're excited to see at Fest, or any that you want to plug as far as friends are concerned? Um. So I mentioned all the all the bands so far that uh, that we know our pals with. Uh, I also would like to mention a Spanish band called Early Flights. They are really, really, really good, uh, and I think uh, a lot of people will be surprised by if they actually go to see them. Uh, they have the misfortune of pretty much closing the whole fucking festival on Sunday. <laughs> So, so either people are going to be absolutely ransacked for energy to do to do anything to, uh, to to go and see them, or they will actually get a really really good turnout. And I think if they do, they'll have an amazing amazing time. Everybody will just enjoy them. So early flights, check them out for sure. And I I will say this: I've seen Less Than Jake probably about thirteen times, maybe fourteen. Uh, I've played with them before. Go see his band. Just, just go see his band. <laughs> now, and this is nothing against Less Than Jake. They have a fantastic set. They always sound great. But go see Burnt Tapes because you can still see Less Than Jake anywhere. But this is a band that is not normally here. That, that, that's more or less my like plea is go check out the bands that you haven't heard of because those are the those are the really fun sets. And as far as direct hit is concerned, they're playing a couple times. Like, if, skip one. Okay, you don't need to be crazy, <laughs> diehard fan. Go check out the smaller bands. It's way more fun. There's only one band that I would approve seeing over us, and they're not playing, which I got it, and I would have missed my own set to see them. That's Iron Sheik, for fuck's sakes. I haven't seen True. Iron Sheik in about five years, and I've so missed them so much. They're my all-time favorite live band, 100%. I mean, as long as you're not interfering with Guar, I can create an argument but if it's if you had guar right next to you i'm like i'm sorry buddy sorry guar, <laughs> gotta, guar over everybody i, I need to get fake blood playing, on my shirt i gotta go <laughs> anybody who's playing at the same time as guar i feel absolutely feel horrible so terrible I, I love i love whoever it is i feel bad i i it's guar you gotta go what? see guar i actually want to see what time they're playing because i need it's to like see four o'clock on friday four or five o'clock it's they're an indoor really venue if i'm not mistaken though oh, so that makes Lord. sense and also yeah. another thing that you need to learn uh jay so this is jay's first fest he's never been before what? Mm -hmm. um but like it's exciting because we get to break in his fest virginity so he has to go see virginity uh additionally though <laughs> let's see okay guar is playing bo diddley uh that's okay that's the pre-fest all right let's go to friday i think or no, that is Friday. They're playing Bo Diddley Plaza at six o'clock. Six. The bands that are competing are Audio Karate. Good band. Uh, oh, this one. Oh man, the Punk Cellist and Rebuilder. Oh, <gasps> the Punk Cellist. The Punk Cellist. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's, uh, how 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 well how well known is it, is it Ian? So his he's like right in the middle. He starts at five fifty. Guar starts at six. Oof. Uh, additionally, competing is Youth League, Planet How Bizarre, Celebration Summer. That one kind of hurts me. 
Uh, Thrush is playing at Palomino. We have Ways Away at the Woolly. Uh, Vecinos, we have the Enablers and Totally Slow. And then Vivid Music Hall has Dead Bars playing at the same time. So if you're in any of those bands, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Uh, we, no, Bo Diddley's going to be packed out. I know. I've yep. never seen that place completely sold out. We might push it. <laughs> it's, like, it's a pretty big grounds to cover, and I think we can fill that thing to capacity mm-hmm. with Guar. And Lesson Jake is the closer that night. So, yeah, there's a couple sets for them. So, yeah, you can check out Lesson Jake, and you can check out Direct Hit at any time throughout the weekend, but you can only see burnt tapes one time. So let's make it capacity. Let's do it. Well, Dank, we appreciate you hopping on today. Thank you so much. Again, everybody check out Burnt Tapes. I, again, will include a link in the bio here for their link tree, which links to all their social media accounts, their band camp, everything. Buy their merchandise. Get them a meal. Really? <laughs> I'll be doing that during Fest. I actually have a budget set aside just for merch. So I'm going to make sure I get some fresh stuff. But on behalf of Jay and myself, my name is Devin Hughes. I have already said great days. So I will say good night. Parlay Radio is a journalistic, educational commentary podcast hosted by Jay Bain, John Coleman, and Devin Hughes. On the mention of bands and materials used, we are protected by fair use in copyright as we provide criticism and commentary through satirical means. We don't own the rights to any bands or stories mentioned, but we do have the rights to offer criticism and commentary. Incidental music is provided by Cloudkicker and Creative Commons tracks in the public domain. If you have a band or suggestion for the show, you can find us on Facebook at Parlay Radio, on Instagram at Parlay Radio Podcast, or on TikTok at Parlay Radio. You may also email us at parlayradio at gmail.com. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our show if you enjoy what you hear. Thanks for listening.